So I am going to vote that we do announcer voices. How does the announcer voice go? Can you play along? Give me an example. I'm awful at voices and stuff. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 18 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Welcome to the greatest podcast of the world. World, world, world. <laughs> hey guys, welcome. We are back. We're excited to be talking with you today. And we want to uh, kind of poke holes in the parish. I know that sounds weird, but uh, what is the role of the parish? What exactly does it look like and how can we rethink that? Hold on. You, we, we do that intro and you give no segue. You just go straight into the topic. Like, how does that connect to what we're doing? It doesn't. <laughs> I like having fun. I okay. think it's fun. <laughs> Have you ever tried to be weird just to see what happens? Just to be weird and see what people do? That is, yeah, that's my that's my MO. <laughs> just just for the reaction. Yep. All just, right, so we're, we're poking holes in the parish. What do you mean? So uh, about, about a week ago, uh, Pope Francis, when speaking to Catholics, uh, taking part in what would be like small faith-based study groups and parish cells and things like that, um, he basically said to them, um, and, and I'm going to quote part of it, but I'm going to adjust it. Parishes need to become a place to listen to the word of God and celebrate the mystery of his death and resurrection. Only from there can we think that the work of evangelization becomes effective and fruitful and capable of bearing fruit. And basically what he's talking about is the, the parish is what launches people into their neighborhoods and their communities and, uh, and their workplaces to do the work of evangelization. But I think a lot of times the work of evangelization takes place at the parish, and we feel like that's where it should take place. Uh, my child well, gets formation here. Yeah. Yeah, what you're saying is, like, so he's saying that all of the stuff that happens at the parish, at least in, in, in our setting here in the United States, should be ha actually happening not at the parish. But we ship everybody to the parish in order to be evangelized and catechized and formed and for community. Everybody's supposed to go to the parish for this to happen. And so then none of it happens, you know, at home or when it happens at home, it's it's weird. So, yes. So I think the current model exists at the expense of the domestic church. Yes, I would agree. So let's let's dive into that and explain that a little bit more. So the current model requires that we go to the parish to attend a class to learn about our faith, right? Correct. Or if it's a family event, because we want to support the domestic church, that we go to the parish for the parish fiesta or the parish festival or the whatever it is. And then we go home from there and was that was a nice parish event. When it actually, we should be unleashed in the neighborhoods. We should be unleashed in the community. A parish is not a building. Like, your parish is not a building. Your parish is a piece of land. And the mission of your parish is to reach everyone within that piece of land. And yet, it feels like there's structures that exist to where we're only reaching people who come to the physical structures built on your parish property. Yeah, and, and not everyone feels comfortable being on parish property. Case in point, 
those who need to be evangelized, you know, non-Catholics. Yes. Uh, they don't feel comfortable there. So how are we going to reach that group of people if everything we do is on parish property? As an example, we have a married couples group that we're a part of. Six couples that got together. We want to start a married couples group. We, we want to meet and talk about these things. We went to the parish and said, hey, we'd like to do this. And they were like, this is interesting. Here's how we want to be supportive. And we got to a certain point where they're like, but logistically, you need to have this and this and this. And everyone has to jump through kind of this hoop and this hoop and this hoop. And it all of a sudden became like, whoa, this is is way more. Why don't we just meet and just do it organically? And we're all Catholics. Let's just, just meet. And we did it outside of the parish structure. And it gave us actually more freedom. What I'm arguing is that that's the way it should be. Like that we shouldn't go, and, and this is a mentality that I think even needs to change in the parishioners, to where I want to do something Catholic, now I'm going to go ask the parish if I can do something Catholic, or for the parish's resources so that I can do something Catholic, when in fact, you're supposed to do something Catholic all the time, as a Catholic. No, so I, I'm going to speak on behalf of the, the pastor, or of, of someone in the diocese, or whatever, but Chris, how do I know that you're saying the right things? You can't, and you don't. Right, Because the volunteers that you bring into your program, there's no guarantee on topics like abortion or uh, same-sex attraction and things like that. There's no guarantee that the things are going to be said right or perfectly. That's the bigger challenge is because sometimes good catechesis or okay catechesis is actually worse than saying the wrong thing. Saying the right thing the wrong way can actually be more damaging. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's like a a valid concern that the church and the administration and everyone has and the pastor who's, I mean, he's in charge of all the souls in that whole parish, which is not just the church itself. The parish is a boundary, you know, and every single soul, Baptist, Catholic, Buddhist, Muslim, every single one of them is under his purview, if you will, like he's responsible for them. And so if someone out there is teaching something that is inerrant and they are a member of his parish, then there's some sort of liability that he has there, especially if they've if they're a commissioned catechist from the parish. Right? Yes. So I'm I'm taking two Pope Francis quotes to uh, complement each other. National Catholic Youth Conference recently happened and Pope Francis spoke to over twenty thousand youth at NCYC. He recorded a video and they played the video with twenty thousand youth. And he said, go out into the world. Not to proselytize, not to share your faith, but just to share God's love in the way that you love. Love the things that you love, love the people that you love, and allow Christ into that. No need to go with an agenda or or, or anything along those lines. Just go and be who God created you to be. That was his commissioning to the 20,000 youth that were there. And I think that that's what we need to do is allow the domestic church to be the domestic church. If we want to reach the people on the periphery, we have to get out of our parish buildings and actually go to the periphery. And so often that's being sent forth through ministries that exist in the parish. When the people on the periphery are on the same soccer team as your kids, they're in the same, uh, in the same grocery store as you are. Like that is how we reach those people is to be authentically Catholic everywhere we go. But the model of catechesis and formation and all that exists to where it has been outsourced since the 70s to the parish, and so that's the only place we think that it happens. But catechesis needs to happen in the home first and foremost, and the parish should complement that or support that or empower that to happen effectively. The domestic church seems like it is 
underneath, like it's the little the little kid sister to the the actual church, the actual parish, and the domestic church is underneath that. But they need to be seen as partners, partnering with the domestic church, equipping people to do so. Um, would it would be it is great. Like I wonder if wonder what it would look like if the parish made a. I mean, most a lot of parishes actually have formed, you know. But if they made a like a push, you know, for people to to put together groups that meet in their homes and and go through one of the series on formed together, something like that. They, I feel like that could be a pretty easy way to do it. But like letting go of that control in a way over what's taught and what's said in those groups, it, it, I think it's terrifying to the to the leadership. Yeah, but again, if the parish did that, they uh, we're going to give resources, and this is how you host an event in your home, and now you're uh, kind of like a uh, you're the parish offsite, right? Now you're just the same parish. What if they said, "Hey, you see needs, meet those needs with love, and this is how you love, right? And welcome to the liturgy. This is my body given up for you, sacrificial love. We see that, and so he talks about like." The word of God and celebrate the mystery of the death and resurrection is the main goal of the parish. We don't need to say this is how you open your home to to share life with each other. I mean, I maybe. Mean, yes, we do. I mean, I don't even know how long people have looked to the priests, to the religious, to be the ones to do this. Even if they aren't ill-equipped, they feel ill-equipped. And they won't do it unless it's made a little easier for them to do it, or they're actually specifically commissioned to do so. Does that make sense? They're gonna they're gonna stick with what's easy, what they've known, and what they've done, unless something changes. Now, you, the parish could tear down all, all of its buildings and then say, "I guess we have to do it at home," <laughs> you know. But that's not gonna happen. But the challenge is is sharing the faith imperfectly but organically is our birthright in baptism. Like we are now princes and princesses of Christ the King. We have the authority as a baptized member of the faith of of God, you know, to be his disciples, his children, and we are sent on mission to do that. And when we wait and say, well, actually this is the parish's job to do, we forfeit our birthright at least on some on some scale. Yeah, but what I'm telling you is the majority of Catholics feel that. Um, the majority of Catholics feel like it is the the parish's job. It's someone else's job to do all that. It's not mine. So how do how do we change that? You would have to like do something, not necessarily at the parish, but something to equip the people to do that. Hey guys, we are not going to meet for our RE classes. Are not going to meet for six months or whatever. Like we're we're not going to hold any classes on campus for six months. These six months, we want you to go through this series in a group of your friends at home. You're going to have to do something relatively dramatic to break the mold of, I go to the parish to get my formation. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I'm saying is you can't just not do anything and expect people to start doing it. Yeah, it's so hard. I just, I want to see families praying together. I want to see neighbors sharing life together. Yeah, I want to see coworkers talking about these things, but both the society that we exist in, where religion is taboo to talk about, and the parish structure that exists in so many places, to where evangelization has to happen centralized to the parish buildings that that, that exist, 
right? But I, I, I envision a, a parish that sends, equips and send people forth. And what would yep. that look like? What would that look like to the community? What would, like you said, what if you, you took a jubilee and you rested the fields for a year, right? Every seven years yep. they would blow the horn and there would be a jubilee. What if you rested the fields for a year and said, this is what we want it, want it to happen? And start with the family. We're going to rest the fields and call it the year of the family. This is how a family journeys together, right? And for those who don't have kids in the house, this is what it looks like to have a small faith community. And we send them with those things, equip and empower them, and see what happens. And maybe they come to the parish to be formed on how to lead successfully in that area. Yeah. Maybe those are the only classes that are held, is, right. is actually how to do this on your own, not, not being formed themselves, except for as leadership. But what, what does it look like if everyone in the, in, the, in the church has to get their hands a little dirty in order to make uh, faith effective? What does it look like if I have to take ownership? Because I think about the Mormon Church and or the Church of Latter Day Saints of Jesus Christ, right? And they go on a mission from age nineteen to twenty or twenty to twenty-one. They go on a two-year mission where they just go and they share, and they are so uncomfortable, super uncomfortable. I have a friend that went through this process, but at the end of it, they are on Team LDS, like they are Latter Day Saints for the rest of their life because they had they were forced to take ownership of the faith in a radical way and i believe that this would be a radical shift i think we got here because the kumbaya catechesis that existed largely in the 1970s led to the generation x people being raised by parents that didn't know how to share the faith because they didn't receive the faith and the parishes had to step up and allow them to outsource it to the parish in order for quality catechesis to kind of be reclaimed, which I think we're still doing some reclaiming there. Mm -hmm. And we've never let go. And so just like if you want your kid to be good at soccer, you find them a good coach. If you want them to be good at the faith, you find them a good catechist. But you do that at the parish or you do that at the, uh, the YMCA or the sports league, whatever it is, to outsource it. And we've outsourced the catechetical role of parents in a large yeah. way. And this yeah. is problematic because that leads to a mentality that evangelization should only be done by Roman callers, and that's not true. Yeah, absolutely in, agreed. In fact, the pastor is the chief catechist of the parish. The chief evangelist of the parish are the people that are sharing, uh, sharing life in the neighborhoods. Like, every parishioner is a more important evangelist than the pastor. The pastor is a more important catechist, and indeed, the one who breaks the bread and shares the sacraments. Like, that sacramental life is on the pastor. Everything else should be on the people. And so we see pastors who are burdened by the logistics of leading these programs and programs and catechists and employees, when maybe it should be uh, flipped upside down. While you were talking, um, idea came up. I don't know, those of you listening, I don't know if you've caught on to this yet, but I'm very much an idea guy. <laughs> I can come up with different ways to do things and strategy and strategist, um, I finding ways to do something is just what I do. Um, I wonder like if the, in the whole process of religious education, as far as, as a way to transition to this model or to at least encourage it, that you would have like certain grade levels that are just not held at the parish, like grade three or grade six, whatever. There's no classes at the parish for that grade. Parents, this is what we want you to do with your kids this year. And then just periodically check in with the parents throughout that year. And just every every so often, you just have a, have a grade that does that. And then maybe you can increase the number of grades 
you know, in a couple of years or something like that, just to transition into the model, into a model where you're equipping parents to do that more. So our parish, my daughter's going through First Holy Communion, um, and they are preparing them for their first reconciliation. And they handed us a book and they said, go through this book with your daughter at home, which I thought was a really cool kind of approach to be able to say, here is the resource. Now go do it at home. This is where it should take place. The formation for this aspect should take place in the home. And they, they empowered and equipped us to do that. And there's a quiz at the end that they look at and, and different pieces to where there's accountability check marks along the way. But it's kind of like what you were saying, Matt, which I thought was was pretty cool. But again, I don't think that that, that, that piecemeals, your idea, not to, not to be rude, but your idea piecemeals uh, aspects of the domestic church. Okay, we're going to be a domestic church for this. When I think the domestic church needs to come together as a family, um, not just as for third graders or for fifth graders or whatever. But there's got to be a way to ease into it. So Pope Francis, to continue what he shared, he's, he shared, if we have encountered Christ in our lives, then we cannot just keep it for ourselves. It is crucial that we share this experience also with others. This is the main road to evangelization. When the encounter is the fruit of Christian love, it changes lives because it reaches to the hearts of people and touches them in depth. And this has to happen in the community, not at the parish, right? This encounter and the sharing, the evangelization, the overflow of God's love in our life shouldn't flow back on to the, to the place where we receive that. Right? It's like if someone poured into our cup and we're like, oh, that was amazing, and now I'm going to pour into the pitcher, and then the pitcher's going to pour back into the cup. That type of thing, that's not good. The pitcher pours into the cup so it can overflow into the community, into the peripheries. Yeah, I like that. The whole idea of being out in the world, as you were talking, I was thinking that not only does it give us the ability to reach non-Catholics, it actually helps open our eyes to the number of Catholics that are around us. Like sometimes we don't even realize that, you know, this person working out next to me is Catholic, you know, and this person over here is is Catholic or whatever. I actually found a, a volunteer for our program at my workout gym because I was talking about my church and, and I, someone mentioned that they were Catholic and I was like, oh, cool. Would you be interested in volunteering? Because <laughs> that's my first question for anybody if I find out they're Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and she's on board. I mean, she's, she's part of the team now, which is um, kind of the way that works. But also it, it opens up other conversations. I found out that my trainer is not Catholic, but doesn't know anything about Catholicism. And he shared a story about going to a Catholic wedding and like putting down the kneeler and, and thinking it was a footrest. And he's like, man, this is a fancy footrest. It's real comfortable. It's padded, <laughs> you know, but I, I wouldn't be able to share that, share life with him like that if I wasn't actually ha willing to have conversations about faith outside of the parish. And that's what needs to happen. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the stat that one in 10 Americans is a former Catholic. It's crazy. If we unleashed the people of the church on the United States, on the people that we're called to, to reach, I think that number would drop in half in a matter of two generations. Like, literally, I think that we could transform things if we just got in people's, uh, not in people's faces, but in people's hearts and journeyed with them. And the crazy thing is, is we're already journeying with so many of them in so many different ways. Like, you trust each other at a gym to spot each other or to sweat together and endure. And yet, we don't also say, well, I also do the same thing in regards to my faith life. Yeah. So this challenges the current parish model where those reached are typically reached at the parish, 
right? Not in the parish boundaries, but at the parish, where programming provides the most common structure of evangelization and catechesis. Not, not, not the community, where the domestic church is seen as a private reality of the parish model. Like the domestic church isn't meant to, to do outreach. It's meant to just, okay, at home, you guys should be praying together. That's what domestic church is defined by. But it's actually domestic church should be in the neighborhoods. And that Sunday is the main day where ministry and mission occur. And I think that's unfortunate because it's the days in, in between the Sundays to Sundays where the, where the work of the Lord really should be done dynamically. Amen. Yeah, you aren't just Catholic and Christian on Sunday. You know, you you are that out in the world, in the community that you're with, in your neighborhood, in in your workplace, and that's one one of the things that I I've, I there was a talk I gave a while back. You know, it was bruised and broken or something like that. And one of the things I said is, the people you work with, the pastor may never ever ever meet, right? The people that you interact with on a daily basis, I'm never going to see. They're going to see you. And you need to be the one who's evangelizing them, who's reaching them and talking to them, because that's a whole whole sphere of influence that the church, you know, in quotes, isn't going to reach. But you, the church, are. Right. The body of Christ as opposed to the structure. And yeah. I think that we expect, because the current uh, kind of model or mentality that, that is structured this way puts too much on the pastors. Yeah, And we see pastors getting burned out or worn down, and I, I, I know a number of pastors that work their tails off. It's not for lack of work ethic. They work harder and smarter than anyone that I know, and yet the load is way too much, and that's because what's being asked of them should be asked of the people and of them, right? And so the pastor is a piece of this conversation, but he's not the, he's not the totality. The pastor cannot be everything to everyone in their parish boundaries. And and they shouldn't be, because that's our job as the laity, as the people that are neighbors to those people that the church is called to reach. The pastor isn't called to reach them. The church is called to reach them. The body of Christ, you and me, are called to reach them. And so things that might need to change in order to make this a reality, the shift, is that people need to be empowered and equipped, not just encouraged, to share their faith beyond their faith community. Right, And so oftentimes that, that sending forth at the end of Mass, it really is a, a kind of a commissioning to go do it. But we're like, you should do it. You can do it. But it's not like, here are three steps that you can do this week. I want you to do A, B, or C to encourage and empower, not just simply encourage. Structural shame and liability fears need to be put at the service of the gospel. Now, what do I mean by structural shame, right? Well, I'm hired by the parish Therefore, I have the right to share the faith. And you're just a volunteer, or you're not even a volunteer. You're just a a parent that wants this or that from the church. So you're not qualified. There's structural shame that exists there. And then the liability fears. In other words, people should be encouraged to open their homes to, uh, to others as neighbors and as friends. And yes, this involves possible risk, but not as agents of the church. You are not representing, you know, St. Mary's Catholic Church when you open your home. You're just being a good Catholic when you open your home. In other words, the liability risk is on you as an individual, just like when you have friends over. If someone is over at your house and you have left a bunch of oil on your floor and someone slips and breaks their hip, you are liable. You could get sued for that as an individual. And if you're inviting people over to pray, it's not because 
uh, of St. Mary's Catholic Church, the parish boundary that you're in. That's not that's not it. It's you as an individual, as a Catholic, a baptized member, inviting someone over to pray. So the liability resides on you because there's so much fear surrounding it and there's so much scandal sur- surrounding it. Like it is valid, valid concerns. Millions of dollars have gone to pay out lawsuit settlements, as they should. People did wrong, and they need to be held accountable for it. But that means that people are so gun-shy, that liability fear kind of prevents people from just opening their hearts and their homes to be Christ to one another. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I wrestle with what happens if I do that, and then, because this this will happen somewhere. The pastor gets winds at wind of it and thinks they shouldn't be doing it, and then tries to tries to squash it, you know. What do they do? I don't know. There are loads of great priests out there, loads of great pastors, um, but there are some that are worried, you know, and 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 fearful of what might happen if they allow this to continue. Because there have been some really egregious abuses done in small groups and in small faith communities like this. And so there is a risk, you know, always with this. And so I think pastors may, may err on the side of caution and that's, that's too bad, you know, when that happens, but they're also acting out of a protective heart, you know, protecting their sheep. So how, how do they, I'm not, I'm not saying that they need to feel comfortable because that's not where we're asked to, to be. We're not asked to be comfortable, but there needs to be something here you know what I'm saying, um, to, to help them say yes to this. How do we put it at the service of the gospel? That is the question. That should be the litmus test that it goes through, is is this at the service of the gospel, or is this at the service of us not having as much liability or having as much risk? So what, what does it look like when a family invites another family over? When there's families involved, then all of a sudden you already have the parents there, like a neighbor, Right. I'm not asking you to go and invite some kid you don't know into your home because that is not wise, right? That might not be the best idea. Yeah, but like, and you've gone through all these classes, Chris, like the, the abuse is done by friends and family. It's not done by strangers, you know? So the more, the more you get friends and family around, the higher risk there is of abuse. Now, I don't know if that's a direct correlation. That's not. That's I, a false what I'm dichotomy. saying is, yeah. is they might they might make that that connection, right? And so, how do we like how do we show them that that's not the case? Right. We already have friends and family, right? And so, like this already exists. We're interacting with people. It's not that people are abusers because they're also uh, they also go to church events. It's that yeah. rotten. Rotten people are everywhere, right? And they need Jesus. I'm not asking you to evangelize to a rotten person. I'm asking you to evangelize to a neighbor that you know already, that you've already had over for the 4th of July, or that you've already had over, you know, on a Sunday afternoon for grilling and chilling, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, these are the people that we're asking you to go share the gospel with, because you already have relationship with them. Yeah. Right? And to encourage you to do that and just say, hey, next time you're grilling and chilling, why not... Uh, lead a prayer before you guys eat. Like, yeah. what about that? And and these little pieces. Or as a family, what if you found another family nearby and you guys wanted to talk about the faith? Well, here's a resource on how to do that. I love the the some of the Protestant churches around here do um, a backyard VBS. They don't do it at the at the parish at the parishes at the churches, right? They actually give people the equipment to do it, and then they put a sign in their yard and they say VBS. All are welcome in the neighborhood come here at this time, and they do catechesis, and they do it in the front yard now, but it, it was called Backyard VBS for a while. 
Like they just open up their home and they do VBS stuff in their yard, in their neighborhoods instead of at the parish. Like that alone is like mind-blowingly amazing that, that would really challenge some of the structures that exist in, uh, in many of our parishes. I like all of this. I, I still think that there's a reason why the church is, has has all the classes that it does to train people to protect, you know, youth and vulnerable adults. You're, you're talking safe environments. Those, those classes should not cease, but they should uh, they should be more empowering than they should be limiting. In other words, this is the behavior that you don't want to see, but here's appropriate behavior that we could see, and this is Correct. what it looks like on the parish boundaries, and this is what it looks like offsite. And in that piece, if a pastor gets wind of a small group that he didn't know existed, he could simply just say, hey, you know, are there people that are involved that are EIM trained? You know, something like that, rather than requiring everyone that, you know, or expecting everyone to have been trained. Is that something that a pastor could ask? Or do you think that like he has no business with what goes on with that group? So if it's in his parish boundaries, it's his business. Let me just say that, like the, the curriculums that exist in the schools, right? That's his business because it's in his parish boundaries. So absolutely, he can ask that. And as a pastor, he has authority. And so he can speak to that as well. But what I am challenging is not that all this is catechesis that takes place, but what about what happens on a soccer team? What if we empowered the parishioners to make the soccer team a mean or a mode of evangelization? The pastor's going to understand that when uh, the, the team comes over for an end-of-the-year party at someone's house, that it's not a ministry event or that it's not a parish event. But if we can empower people to see it as a ministry event because it's an opportunity of evangelization, that's what it means to be dynamically Catholic, to share our faith in every context, to where if you're going to a school play, it's a ministry event because you're always a Catholic, always sharing the love of God wherever you go. Yeah, but if, if I have the soccer team over and I start in prayer, I may offend someone. What about this? If you don't start in prayer, your wife, who knows how Catholic you are, might be offended as well. So you lose either way. <laughs> who do you want to offend? Who do you want to offend, Matt? Right? Well, it's that and, you know, then the next time, so let's say I, I start in prayer, the next time I host the event, nobody comes. Or certain kids don't come because they know that the parents know that I'm going that I'm Christian and I'm going to, you know, start in prayer. Oh, I know. And then you have fewer people, but you know that those people want to be there and so you can go deeper. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but I don't know. I I, I I'm just playing the, the but, role but using, of the, using of the, the parent, soccer team using know? the soccer team as the totality of the vehicle for that is problematic, right. But maybe those on the soccer team get an invitation to your backyard vacation Bible school. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. And they already know that you're Christian because you led them in that prayer before you guys had hot dogs and Capri Suns at the yep. soccer banquet. You know, yep. and so there's there's got to be, and this is where the empowering and equipping comes into play of what, what does it look like. I, I would love to hear Marcel Lejeune's thoughts in regards to something like this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because he works a lot on empowering disciple makers. The other piece in regards to it, just a couple more things as we, as we wrap up, is the large group models uh, need to be transformed or at least serve as an on-ramp to small faith community. So a lot of times we have big box programs where, uh, you know, a number of youth or a number of people gather at the parish. Even parish missions draw a lot of people in. They need to be served as an on-ramp to small, smaller faith community. How is that lived out? And then the echo chamber or preaching to the choir must be replaced with discomfort. And we talked about this a little bit. We must be willing to labor and not see the fruits to where we might just be breaking the ground for uh, a non-practicing Catholic in our neighborhood 
to see, okay, all Catholics aren't as horrible as my experience, and now we're going to be able to create an on-ramp, and then the next person ends up bringing them home. But the Pope talked about this. Pope Francis talked about, like, some of the work that we do is just going to be difficult, it's going to be sacrificial, and we're not going to see the fruits, but that doesn't mean that there aren't fruits, and we have to have the long view in mind as we do that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online. Please send any feedback you might have to Matt, nope, <laughs> to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with everyone. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Kick the tires of the parish model and see what happens. Just pray about it. Let's see what God does and take some time this week to pray for parishes and, uh, and other ministry leaders. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. God bless. <laughs> You're a goober. Ha, 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 ha.